Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Andy J Podcast. Podcast. Hello there, welcome to the very latest episode of the Andy J Podcast. I believe this is episode number 73. Now, if this is your first time listening, welcome to the show. We have a very special, very special conversation on the way with Frankie Bridge. Of course, Frankie from the Saturday. She's just brought out a new book called Grow, Motherhood, Mental Health and Me. And well, I mean... If you're here because you love Frankie, you already know she's a bit special. And if you're here just because you're fascinated in hearing about Frankie, from Frankie, I can tell you she is absolutely fascinating. I would also just like to signpost a couple of things because, of course, some of our conversation takes some very interesting tangents and she is very open about some challenges that she's had in her life and some real issues she's had in her mental health battles. And so, therefore, I'd just like to tell you that if you've been affected by anything you're about to hear or or if there's anything you find disturbing then please do reach out to the Samaritans you can get them using thesamaritans.org.uk that's their website or their phone number is 116123 now that's not to say that this is about to be a a really challenging listen Frankie is incredible company she's extremely engaging she's bubbly and dynamic and fascinating and fun but she's also very honest with her own challenges and struggles if mental health and wellness and mindfulness are subjects that are of particular interest to you and that's why you've come to us I'd like to signpost some previous conversations that we've had that I think you would really benefit from hearing Ruby Wax Celia Imray Robert Webb Professor Green Rod Gilbert all of them were incredibly open dynamic we've had many more actually Fern Britton and many many more have a look in our back catalogue. I'd love you to check out the conversations we've had. In fact, episode 27 was our wellness episode with the likes of Jamie Lang, Catherine Ryan and Miles Nazir. So if that's the sort of conversations that you're leaning towards and you'd like to have more of, please do check out those episodes. Other people that we've had, if you are new to our show, include, well, we've had names like Jeremy Clarkson, Keith Lemon, James Martin, Ronan Keating, Sophie Ellis-Bexter, Liam Neeson, Olivia Coleman. I could go on and on and on because we've had loads of conversations and I'm so privileged to be doing this and bringing you this show. But it doesn't work without you, so thank you very much for taking the time to listen, to download, hopefully subscribe, maybe chuck five stars our way if you listen to us on on Apple Pods. I really do appreciate it. Please do spread the word, tell your friends, and I will stop waffling now and let you hear this lovely conversation with the remarkable Frankie Bridge. And I am thrilled to welcome today a pop star, a TV presenter, an author, a podcaster, a mental health champion, a mother, a style icon. I could keep going, but we've only got an hour. It's the amazing Frankie Bridge. How are you doing, Frankie? Hi, what an intro. Do you know what? You've made me feel really cool. <laughs> I've stopped. I've got a list of things. I, I stopped. I was like, okay, that's enough, Andy. Stop. Stop. She's, she's on Stop the phone. Stop picking her up. Yeah. <laughs> How are you doing, Frankie? You all right? Yeah, I'm really good. Thank you. You You know, alive and kicking. Delighted to be chatting to you. We're going to talk about your new book, Grow, which is uh, has a subheading as well. I love books with subheading. Motherhood, Mental <laughs> Health and Me. I can tell you a little funny story about it first, Frankie, which was okay. I got sent a, uh, a PDF of the book a while ago. And yeah. it doesn't have the full title on it. It just it just says Grow Uncensored. And I was thinking, oh, now what's this going to be uncensored. about? Yeah. <laughs> And then I get so you were really excited and then you were like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking to myself, well, I mean, this could be revealing. <laughs> and it was interesting, but for different reasons, obviously. Yes, very different reasons, yeah. <laughs> I didn't know what uncensored could possibly mean. Now, Frankie, now look, we've, we've got to talk, you've had such a, I mean, right, you're 32 years old and yet what you've done in your life and your career, I mean, it's mm. the equivalent of about six professionals, isn't it? <laughs> Um, yeah, I've been around for a while. 
Um, so I've managed to squeeze a lot in. I suppose I started this journey when I was about 12. So, you know, I've had time to figure out what I want to do and to try things out along the way. I'm quite intimidated when I look at the number of things you've done. I mean, just <laughs> just the simple thing of walking out in front of, I don't know, 20,000 screaming teens when you're mm. but a teenager yourself kind of blows my mind. Do you ever think back to those days and think, yeah, that was that was pretty bonkers? Yeah, I do. You know what? I did um, I did a chat the other day on Loose Women and it's all about life before loose and they did loads of, you know, clips, throwbacks and pictures and stuff. And I was like, gosh, it's just mad. You know, I was just a kid myself and you don't realise performing at Wembley is such a big deal when you're 12 years old, you know. Um, so it is, yeah. There's so many things that I've done that I'm like, I can't believe I did that. But you don't think of it that way when you're doing it. Do you not? You're not. You're, no. you're not sort of aware that this is not what most kids are doing. No, for me it was normal, I suppose. And at the time, I was just a bit like, "Oh, this is cool. I don't get to be at school, and I get to be doing what I love." Um, whereas now I look back, and that's, I think, God, that's just madness. And I meet other kids that are around that age and think, "There's no way you could have done that, surely." <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. Incidentally, got, just got to pick you up on your use of the words "life before loose." There's another book title for you. I know, yeah. There you go, that's the next one in the bag. I'll talk to you next year. <laughs> yeah. I love it, I love it, it's great fun. Well, look, Frankie, let's, can we start at the beginning? Let's, let's kind of have a little walk through your life, if that's all right, because we, sure. we can sort of understand why you've got to the place you're at now, which is, I think, a really interesting position in your world and, and everything that you purvey. But I love to kind of see how things have started, because I found with these conversations, and I know you have them yourself on your own podcast, and... You sort of, you often do have to bring it back to the beginning. You know, what, what yeah. was it like in the early days? Now, obviously you've, you've talked about kind of age 12, but let's, let's go even mm. earlier if that's all right, because, okay. you know, you started out life Upminster, Upminster East London. And, and I've mm -hmm. sort of, I've heard a very simple phrase, which might be one of those things that just comes out on a Google thing, which is uh -huh. you had sporty parents, but you didn't like sport. My parents are sporty. No, you know what that probably has come from was my mum and dad, obviously, they both worked full time. Um, and like the summer holidays, they would send me to um, like a tennis camp. Okay. And obviously because childcare and everything, now I'm an adult, I realise why I used to go. But as a kid, I used to be like, oh, but I hate tennis. <laughs> um, and and it's kind of stuck with me as an adult. Um, but yeah, no, I was never particularly sporty. My sister was really sporty. So at school, I was the one that was like, I was in the choir. I loved drama. I was in the orchestra, whereas my sister was like captain of sports teams and things like that. So maybe that's where that's come from. One of those glorious contrasts that most siblings have, to be fair. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, it's funny. I remember like if I was playing rounders or something, my uh, PE teacher would be like, oh, yes, she's finally hit the ball. And I'd be like, oh, <laughs> but I play the cello really well. <laughs> <laughs> what a great comeback. What? I know, yeah. <laughs> but I'm a cello geek. Come on. Yeah, come on. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Hang on. How old were you playing the cello? Um, I, I was at primary school. So when I was at primary school, I'd play pia uh, piano and cello. And I continued both into like the beginning of senior school. And then after a while, I played guitar. For a while, but I can't play any of them now, which is just sad. Oh, what a letdown! <laughs> the I, mean, I know. I'm curious. I'm sorry to be stuck on the cello, Frankie, but it just seems like yeah. such a mature instrument for a kid to choose. I know it's massive. Imagine me carrying that into school every time I had a lesson, and that's actually sadly why I stopped playing the cello because I I actually loved it, and I was in the orchestra in primary school, and then secondary school I got into the orchestra. I was really excited about it. And my sister, who was already at that school, I remember like carrying it along with us as we were walking up to school and her just turning around to me and saying, Frank, you can't play the cello at secondary school. It's for geeks. <laughs> and I was like, oh, OK, like trying to drag this massive thing along. And um, yes, yeah, so I quit. And now, now, you know, now I wish I didn't. But yeah, I was too worried about being cool. It's a now, as a grown-up, I'm like, it's so cool. Yeah, it I would be really cool. On. You should have done yeah. It's one of those things, I've got three boys, and they're all different yeah. ages, obviously. And and I, I sort of, I'm absolutely fascinated as to when the sort of instruments will find them. Because I was a session drummer in my early life, and I found oh, okay. drums really early, and because I just loved them. But, but in my head, I probably didn't find them as young as I think I did. Do you know what I mean? 
Yeah, I mean, my kids now have just start. They're starting this term. Carter's my youngest, is going to play piano, and Parker has a, has tried drum drums for a term. We got him a set that's now in the loft somewhere, <laughs> and now this term he's trying violin which is, to me, one of the worst instruments ever. So yeah. I'm like, great. Um, so that should be interesting. But I like that they're trying them out, at least, you know. <laughs> Have you noticed that we as parents rush, if they take an in- in- kind of interest in the cool instruments, your guitars, your pianos, your drums, your bass, whatever, we rush to buy them them. But when it's the, know, yeah. when it's the, like, the violin or the recorder, you're like... Yeah, just try it out at school first. You know? Yeah, no, I, I'm renting the violin. I have <laughs> bought no violin. <laughs> that says, I didn't know you could rent them. That's, that's useful. Yeah, no, it's good, Useful isn't it? tips. And so when did dancing come into play then, Frankie? Because you, I mean, obviously that's something that you're known to be incredibly good at as well as all the music. Uh, yeah, dancing has always been my favourite like form of performance. Um, and I started really young, you know, just as local community hall um my mum put me and my sister in so I was three when I started dancing um and I loved it like my sister was there because her mates were there and she enjoyed to go for the social aspect but I think I took it quite obviously not at three but I think I took it quite seriously from quite a young age um like I loved all the shows and I loved all the exams and um yeah I just I really enjoyed it were you aware uh, you know as a little one that this could be something I could do for a career? Or was it just still fun and playing around on no, the No, I think because when I was younger, you know, there wasn't anything like X Factor or Pop Stars Arrivals kind of happened just as I'd got in S-Club Juniors. So those kind of shows weren't around. So I think back then it was like you were either going to be in musical theatre or like a cheese string advert there was like no there was there was nothing else you know past that so I never really thought about it I just knew I really enjoyed it and it wasn't until I was nine and my dance teacher called my parents in one day and said I really think you should send her to a stage school and my mum and dad were like really do you think and and, uh, they said to me oh do you want to go to a stage school so like one of these big ones in London you know Sylvia Young Italia Conti type thing And I was like, yeah, I do actually. Um, so they kind of said, right, we'll find a local one. You go at the weekend, try out for that one. And when you're old enough to start secondary school, then if you still want to go, you can audition for one of those. Um, but in the end, I never needed to because I got into a club juniors at secondary school age. So it never really happened. That was like a proper mic drop there, Frankie. Yeah, I didn't need to. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I didn't mean it like that. But yeah, yeah, I suppose so, yeah. I mean, saved my mum and dad a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, I guess yeah. so. And a lot of soul yeah. searching about whether they want to, you know, move so that you can. Do I know, it. yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, the challenges that would have been. So let's. I mean, you've dropped it. The S Club Juniors, S Club Eight, as well as it was mm. known later. Talk to me about that. That was absolutely insane, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It was one of those things. So. Rochelle Hume, who she is now, um, we went to this same local stage school like on a Sunday and there was this audi- open audition being talked about on CBBC um, with S Club 7 and everyone was talking about it. Are you going to go? Are you going to go? And I was a bit like, no, nah, I'm probably not going to go because I knew it was a big open audition. Mm. And then it was just funny, like the night before Rochelle and I were at dance school and we were like, should we go? Should we get our mums to take us? So literally the night before our mums agreed to take us, we got up early in the morning, drove to Wembley, I think it was, um, early hours. And yeah, we auditioned, we kept getting through all the rounds. And then we both ended up getting in, which was amazing, yeah. um, in, in like one of the videos, because it was all documented on CBBC. You just see my mum and Rochelle's mum jumping on each other out of pure joy that we both got through. <laughs> it would have been an awkward car journey home. Yeah. Um, and we thought we were auditioning for one night to perform with S Club 7 at Wembley Arena. And then Simon Fuller, who's the creator of Spice Girls and S Club 7, came out and said, I'd like to make you a pop group and that was it it's like that's literally how it happened and on the way home we got ourselves a mcdonald's to celebrate and that was it <laughs> what a twist I know. hang on we're, what you mean we're doing this forever now because you know yeah. one night or it's a career blimey yeah could you process yeah. that at what, 11 12 years old was that 
was that absolutely kind of absolutely a... not no no I had no idea you know I had no idea what that was going to entail I just remember being excited um and like, I suppose for our parents it was a bigger thing for them because for them it was like okay do I want them to do this um and my mum and dad say it was kind of like we had to kind of agree to kind of hand you over to these people or say no and you possibly you know resent us for the rest of your life so as a as a parent now I see how hard that was but I didn't appreciate that until I was a lot older I don't think. Was there a business thing going on there as well Frankie because obviously it wasn't you weren't just doing it for kicks those Simon Fuller and the, and the various people around him were clearly going to make money mm. from it so obviously there would yeah. it was a job presumably he or one of his team sat down with your parents and was like look this is this is the kind of things that she could be earning yeah I think so I don't really ever know obviously I wasn't really aware of money at, at the time obviously we made money but it just kind of I probably spent it on rubbish at the time but um I think yeah it was more they did call all our parents in and kind of go for it with all of them and tell them kind of what to expect but I don't think you ever really know what to expect because we were kind of an anomaly at that point you know no one had really done it since like the Nolans or the Jacksons or whatever you know children um so no one really knew it was kind of a guessing game we didn't know if we were going to be successful we didn't know what it was going to be like um but we were so looked after and friends with everyone that we worked with Our, our team around us never changed um and you know there were really strict rules we could only work five days a week we could only be in front of the camera for a certain amount of hours we had to do a certain amount of school work a week so it wasn't like we were fed to the wolves and there was no social media so I had no idea if you liked my band didn't like my hair you know anything like that I just was loving performing I feel like that was a much nicer time to be be in the spotlight do you know what I mean yeah, I think I'm really grateful that as a child, that's the time that I did what I did. Yes, yes, because it gave you the opportunity to just be without being judged. Yeah, I had no idea. I thought we were great and I thought everyone else thought we were great. <laughs> I think most people, to be fair, most people did. You know, the albums and the tours and all the rest of it kind of backed that up. You had a yeah. lot, you had a lot of it, but obviously if it had been now, there would be some trolls just because they want to troll, you know, that would find yeah. fault in whatever. Yeah. And people weren't really allowed to write about us, which was nice. So like there was no, like the press weren't really allowed to take pictures. They weren't really allowed to write things. Like, you know, we just did fun kid magazines that I don't even think are around anymore. You know, like silly shoots and fun stuff. And I just had a lot of fun. <laughs> did you get stopped for autographs from other kids and stuff though? Uh, yeah, we did. And I still meet people now that were like, oh, I wished I was in Ask of Genius when I was younger. And you know, it's a real nostalgia thing for a lot of people around my age group, I suppose. Um, but we did, yeah, and that was that was really nice. But I feel like you know, maybe kids were slightly more innocent back then. I don't really know. <laughs> yeah, I like, I like to think that as well, but we probably weren't. Yeah, we probably weren't. No, no. I mean, what, what would it be like now as a mum, Frankie, if one of the boys came home and said, Mum, I'm in a band, I've got this opportunity, you know, we've got a record label. Would you be all for it or would you be like, whoa, hang on? Maybe not. I I would say yes, but I would be really nervous. Like I think I am grateful that my parents let me do, you know, because I'm where I am today because of that. Um, so I wouldn't take that away from my kids, but I would be so nervous because for me, where I left school uh, pretty much at the age of 12, I to me it's really important that my kids stay in school, but I don't really know why because I still have all my friends from school all of my friends are old home friends. Like, you know, that's what's kept me very much grounded. And I'd really want that for my kids. But like I said, I don't think I could say no. But I suppose I'd have the insight to know what's right and wrong, which should maybe be quite helpful. Yeah, you'd know what to look out for. Yeah. You'd have the other bandmates' mums going, so Frankie, we need your help. What's this? <laughs> yeah. But then I wouldn't know how to navigate social media and stuff like that with them. I think that would be really hard. Just stay off it. Yeah, but they oh, they wouldn't be able to, would they, in that no. industry? I don't know. I don't know how it would work. But, yeah, it would be a tough one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be difficult. I mean, I don't know. Is that a dilemma you want to have? Are you, do you have those aspirations for your kids? Or is that not something that you'd... Not really. It's really funny. Wayne and I are so chilled. You know, I, the first thing most people say to us is, oh, are the kids sporty or are they musical? <laughs> and, you know, they're not really either at the minute. They're both so young. You know, they're six and seven. But... 
I I would love them to show an interest in sports purely for health reasons. It keeps them busy. It keeps them fit. And I would love them to show an interest in music just because it's something for them to do. But if they were any good at it or not, I don't really care. Yeah, neither of us have pushy parents. And we both kind of found our passions off our own accord, really. Um, and I just want my kids to do that. I just hope they find something something that they're passionate about. It'd be really interesting to see where they go because at six and seven, like you say, they, they don't, they've probably got some things they're really into, but they don't necessarily sort of will end up doing those in the future. But they must be aware, well, you know, dad played for England, mum sold 10 million records or whatever it is. Well, so I'm not going to do music or football. <laughs> I'm going to be a scientist. Really sure. Yeah, I'm not really sure how aware they are, but my two are like the only two at their school that don't play football, which I think is hilarious. Like, and all the other kids play football, they don't play it. Um, but my son, funnily enough, he's so scientist. My eldest says, when people say to him, what do you want to be when you're older? He says a scientist, which makes me really proud. But then I ask him what, les- what lessons he likes at school and he never says science. So I'm like, <laughs> I'm not really sure. What part of this you understand or don't understand? There's something missing here. <laughs> Bless him. That's brilliant, though. I think that's great. Got to have, yeah. got to have different thoughts, haven't you? It's all good. Yeah, it's all good. So, Frankie, you know, you're you're this young lady. Well, you're still a girl, actually, aren't you? And you're in this yeah. pop group, and there's this explosion of wow. And like you say, it, it becomes your normal. You're not mm-hmm. aware that it's it's different to what other kids no. are experiencing because that's just the groove you're in. Yep. There's massive audiences, there's TV appearances, there's international flights. It's all still feeling completely normal? <laughs> it was my normal, I suppose. Like I knew that my friends and stuff weren't doing the same things as me. But I think when you're a kid, you just adapt, don't you? Like I was just like, okay, this is what I'm doing. I'm having fun. I was always happy. I was always enjoying myself and... I just didn't, yeah, it just became my new normal. And like, I loved, you know, if we ever did a tour, a, a literally a coach load of like my friends and family would come from Essex and come and watch. And it was just really fun to share with everyone. It was great. Yeah. Yeah. It was part of the party bus kind of thing. Yeah. And like, they all kept me grounded. There was never a point where I got carried away with myself. And, you know, I don't think anyone would have ever let that happen. <laughs> No, that's good to know because you know there'll be some parents they're like you're a star you've made it it's yeah oh yeah no no (laughs) definitely not but let's talk about if you don't mind kind of opening that mental health door Uh, yeah at what point during this journey that you're going on this kind of crazy career at at what point I don't quite know how to describe it but at what point were the sort of demons knocking and going hang on hang on you're not good enough, you're not the right person for this, etc. How, how? At what point did the um, voices start kind of... You know what? I always say I came out of the womb anxious. Like, I was always a really anxious child. Um, you know, I was a real deep thinker. I really overthought things. Um, and before S Club Juniors, I would have, like... I would struggle breathing when I went to bed where I was worrying about things. I'd get stomach aches all the time. And that kind of became like a... Almost like a bit of a family joke that... I always had funny tummies um, and things like that. And, you know, that I was a worrier. I just became known as a worrier because back then, kids with mental health issues wasn't really a thing. You know, what did kids have to worry about? Um, so I was always that way. And actually, in s Juniors, I was just really happy, I think, because I was just doing what I enjoyed. And like I say, I was oblivious to what the outside world thought. I just enjoyed it. And I suppose it wasn't really until after that as I got older, that kind of got worse. Um, I think after S Club Juniors, I kind of enjoyed the novelty of I worked in a shop and I worked in a bar and I just got to hang out with my friends again and I kind of had my time back. Mm. But then when all my friends started going to uni and applying for uni, there was a real moment of at the age of like 16, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? You know, I'd already had this successful career and everybody knew that I'd had that. So it was almost like I had to keep up this success that everyone expected of me. So I think it kind of started from then. So were you putting putting pressure on yourself then, Frankie? Were you thinking, well, I I have to continue to do this to impress other people? Or or, or was there a point where you thought I could reinvent myself now? You know, maybe I'll... Well, yeah, there were... 
yeah, there was a point where I was like, I could have, because I didn't have A-levels, um, I could have gone to a uni and done like a music management course um, just because from experience I'd been in that industry and stuff. So I really looked into stuff like that and I was actually quite excited by that. Um and I kind of accepted that that might be my past, but there was always in the back of my head that people might kind of sniff at it, but I was quite happy about it. Um, and it wasn't until I got the call for the Saturdays that then I was like, yes, what else am I going to do, really? Like, what else can I do with my life? Um, and people did make comments if I was working in a shop, you know, oh, you know, kind of that, oh, you, you're, a you're a failure. And it's funny because you don't really get that in many other jobs. People change jobs and move jobs and people just kind of accept it. But once you're in the public eye, the minute you're in something else, it's like you failed, even if you've been a success. Yes. And I, and I think performers tend to judge themselves more harshly than anyone else. Oh, definitely. Yeah. So you can see why a lot of child stars fall down a bad rabbit hole because you're constantly trying to chase that success from such a young age to think that your career is over from such a young age when so many people haven't even started yet you've got a lot of your life left to keep that up <laughs> yes 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 it's it's a really how do I jump that bar that I set myself so young that's you know, yeah it's, it's the, whiz, yeah. the whiz kid how do I achieve that again it's it's, it's yeah a, it's kind of it must be really really tough so mm. would you would you say that I mean, I'm just kind of riffing on what you're saying here, Frankie. It's mm. not something I've read from either of your books. It's just something I'm trying to pick up, really. Would you say that the sort of the floodgates opened in terms of the mental health due to the pressure of feeling you needed to step up? Yeah, I think I always felt this pressure that I was where I lived and within my friends and family. That's kind of what I was known for. And I kind of had to keep that up, definitely. But that was purely from my own insecurities, you know, like, Everyone around me was proud of me. They wouldn't have cared what I'd done after that. But for me, it was also like, you know, like chasing that that high of walking on a stage and people cheering for you and getting to do the thing you love and then not having that anymore is 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 a hard void to fill, you know. it's hard. You don't really get that from anything else. <laughs> do you think you'd have had this sort of level of doubt and, and, and challenges if you had taken that music management course, if you if you turned left instead of right? Probably not because I think I'd have started it from such a young age that people would have then just accepted that that's what I did now and I would have been able to accept that. But would I have been fulfilled? I don't know. Because um, there's still so many things even now that I'm like, oh, I still want to do musical theatre because that's something I didn't do when I was younger. Or So I wonder if I'd have still kind of been chasing that performer side of things. Um, but I think, I don't think my mental health issues came from being in bands I think it was just made worse I think they were already there yeah they just turned the flames up a bit yeah mm. so the Saturdays happened and yeah that was massive I mean is it fair to say they were even bigger than S Club yeah I suppose it was just a completely different time yeah I don't I don't know you know it was so different because the music industry when I was in S Club Juniors was completely different there was no downloads there was no you know, none of this online streaming and stuff. So, and there was more TV shows and whatever. So for me, S-Club Juniors felt like there was more. But I would say, yeah, probably the Saturdays was bigger. I it's mean, hard. Yes, it's, I mean, it's difficult. You can look at sales yeah. and stuff, but it's, it's, more yeah. about, it's more about how it felt to you, I guess, is, is yeah. what I mean. Because, you know. I think, yeah, the Saturdays, I was older. I was aware then that it was a career. You know, I, as an adult, I was aware I needed to earn money. I needed it to last. I, um, You're more aware of your success. So I wanted it to do well. I needed it to do well. Um, and, yeah, I was more aware of stepping on stage at Wembley Arena or O2 Arena than I was when I was a kid. So it was definitely a completely different kettle of fish. Hello, I'm Amber. I work for the team that bring you this show and the Driven Chat podcast. And we love that you're listening. It would be really cool if you could just chuck us five stars, subscribe and tell your friends. Thank you. The Andy J podcast. And you were, albeit still a young one, you were a woman at that point. And yeah. therefore the, uh, I have to put this delicately, Frankie, without sounding like a right old perv, if you know what I mean. But, <laughs> you know, from, from being a child who's just a, a sort of talented young performer, mm. you know, probably not on the radar of young men, if you see what I mean, just just yeah. a little kid in a band to being a, 
you know, an attractive woman doing sexy dancing mm. with cool hair and, you know, cool, she's fit, <laughs> yeah. isn't she? I mean, you you got a lot of that, didn't you? I mean, to be fair, yeah. there was a lot of attention quite quickly on the fact that you were a very good looking lady. Um, yeah, and I, I think I, you know, at the beginning of the group, I kind of was always worried, or oh, am I singing enough on this song or am I, you know, enough on you know vocally are people going to be impressed or whatever and I very quickly learned like in most bands that we all have our roles and I learned very early on that my role was more people were looking at my hair at what I was wearing at what I looked like who I was going out with and what I had to say rather than what I sang on a song you know and at first I found that quite difficult because obviously all I'd wanted to do was sing and dance um, but then I just kind of got used to it. You know, it's, it's funny in a pop group, in a, in a band where they play instruments, everyone knows their part. Yeah. Whereas in a pop group, you have to find that as you go along. Was that really weird? You're in this band because, because let's be fair, the, the record label approached you, you know, Polydor, Fascination yeah. Records. They came to you and they said, please try out for this. But basically it was a slam dunk. You were getting in. You were going to be in this <laughs> band. I mean, I know you had to audition, but nonetheless, yeah. no one else was approached. You were. You were, yeah. you were probably the foundation of the band, you know, let's find people to fit around Frankie. I don't know. But yeah, I, I kind of, yeah, knew I would possibly be in it. <laughs> <laughs> right. But the point is, you know, that it happens. The others have auditioned yeah. and their skill sets are, like you say, for different things. It's almost like thinking about the Spice Girls, for example, were you being framed as the posh Spice sort of thing? Well, she's not singing loads, but she's in the papers all the time because people are really curious. I suppose so, yeah. And 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 if you look at most bands, you will see who, what role everyone plays. And and yeah, like I said, you figure those out. And at first, it's a bit like, oh, okay, I sang loads in S Club Juniors, and then to go in the Saturdays and not be like one of the main singers was a bit like. But I mean, the girls that did, they were insane. So that was fine. And as I said, like my favourite thing has always been dancing. So. I loved just getting up there and dancing and I did sing, don't get me wrong. But yeah, I just, I just realized that my role was more about image rather than talent, I suppose. And what does that do to your thought process? Um, I think at first it hurt. I was a bit like, Oh, okay. Um, I thought I was all right. Um, but I just got used to it really quickly and, um, I was just happy to be there to be honest. But I think, it puts pressure on you in a different way in that you have to keep up a certain image and people talk about your life a lot more. You're written about a lot and some things aren't factually correct and that can be really hard and, you know, people feel like they can say what they want to you and that that was difficult because I'm a people pleaser and I like people to like me. So if people don't, I find that really difficult. Yes, that must be, that must be really weird. And, of course, you're getting a lot of sort of paparazzi attention and, and people are kind of noticing your, your figure and all the rest of it. And we'll talk, mm-hmm. we'll talk about body dysmorphia in a moment, but just, yeah. just on a very simple thing, for example, and this is a question because I haven't seen, I've only seen flawless photographs of you, Frankie, but, but did you, <laughs> yeah. did you at any point, for example, get a spot, you know, that would be like, Oh no, I can't, I can't go out. Cause I, I mean, I don't know if you're, <laughs> I doubt, I doubt you could ever get spots, Frankie. You don't seem like that um, kind of person. Oh but, no, I, I do. But, you know what, we used to wear so much makeup. I look back now and I'm like, God, it was almost like an armour, you know, going out with this makeup on. Um, we used to turn some of our spots into moles. So we'd like just do a little dot of like um, eyeliner and be like, oh yeah, it's just a mole. And, and it's just weird, um, which helps. She's got a mole um, that keeps moving around her face. Yeah, I know, yeah. Um, but I, I spots, yes, they made you feel self-conscious, but it was... Yeah, I don't know, just anything like outfits. If you didn't feel quite great in that outfit that day or if you were feeling particularly hormonal, you know, like you're human. You're not feeling on top of the world every single day um, and you still have to go out there and act like you do. And was that kind of drilled into you? Was it? Were you told by some management or whatever, put on a smile, the show must go on, you have to do this, don't care how you're feeling, the public don't, just be smiley? Not so much. It's more, you know, you're aware that you have when you're in a band, you know, I had I had four other girls that were relying on, we all relied on each other, you know, to turn up and pull everything out of the bag every day. Um, so you have the pressure of that. 
And then you do have the pressure of fans and stuff. You don't want to let them down. And obviously management and record label relying on you to do your job. It's a job at the end of the day. Everyone really looked after us. No one was like, I don't care how you feel. You've got to go out there. But obviously it was like, we haven't really got time for you to have a day off. Just off you go, you know, type thing. Um, but not in like a, a mean way. It's just the, the way it is. Your life is scheduled from the beginning of the year to the end of the year. And you just have to kind of get on with it. So you're in this kind of mad, super busy pressure cooker under the spotlight the whole time. Yeah. And is that... Uh, you know, triggers a difficult word because it's it means so many different things to many different mm. people now. But uh, I mean, if, is it okay if I quote from Open your your first book? Yeah, of course. You know, you talk about the panic attacks, and you yeah. say, you know, your words: the sensation would make me feel so unbelievably helpless, as though I had absolutely yeah. no control over my mind or body. Mm-hmm. At, at what point did these start, Frankie? And and when did you realize this wasn't right? This wasn't this wasn't what should be going um, on. I'd say it was a good few years into the band. Um, and I think it, it came from, which from writing open, I realised a lot of my anxiety comes from control and feeling out of control. Um, and I think that comes from the life that I've led, you know, from Escob Juniors to the Saturdays. Everyone's told me from day to day, this is what you're doing today. This is what time you're starting and ending. This is when you'll eat lunch. This is, do you know what I mean? So I'd, suppose I had no control over my life in that way so I think anxiety and um, controlling my eating was the only way that I felt that I could take back some of that control and I do think that that's where a lot of my anxiety came from just because you feel out of control because everyone's just telling you what to do and who to be that day if that makes sense. Yes, that must be very strange and 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 you kept these, I mean, they at first, it, panic attack is the label, isn't it? At first they were mm. panic attacks. And mm. you kept these completely to yourself or did you share with anyone? No, no one really knew about them for a while. Um, it wasn't really until I met Wayne where I couldn't really hide them from him. I'd come home and I was just like a crying panic attack mess because it was almost like while I was at work, I could hold it together. But the minute I stepped through the door... I couldn't anymore because I was comfortable, I suppose, and I didn't have to be Frankie from the Saturdays. And um, I still remember um, backstage doing a meet and greet before a show. And before, and it was the first time I'd realised that I had started doing it. Before I stepped into the room, I had to switch from Frankie into Frankie from the Saturdays. And that was the first time I realised that I'd had to become like two people because I wasn't just one person anymore because my normal Frankie was having panic attacks, feeling depressed and really struggling. But I had to be happy, Frankie, on Saturdays. Lovely to meet you. Isn't life great kind of thing? Mm. Yeah. So the first few years in the band, the smiles were real and then, yeah. and then they weren't. Yeah. Gosh, that must have been very, very confusing. Yeah, I think, I think at the time I just kind of, I didn't really realise what was happening. Um, and then I went to a doctor and he said to me, and I was just, I just sat down in front of him and just burst into tears. And I just thought I was just really tired. And he said, I really think you need to go and see a therapist. I think there's more to this. I think you're suffering with depression and anxiety. And I think you need to go and talk to someone. And I was horrified and offended. I was like, no, only crazy people go and see therapists. Like I'm not crazy. I'm fine. I'm just really tired. And it was a good year or so before I actually gave into that and thought, no, you know what? I can't carry on like this. I do need to do something about it. Gosh. So even after the professional had spoken, you were like, no, 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 no. It's just, I'm just worn out. Yeah. Because I think it just wasn't something, you know, it's something that's spoken about so much more now, but then it really wasn't. And it was very much like just, Keep, keep calm, carry on type thing. It's just ingrained in us, you know? Yeah. So you were, I mean, you were basically in a constant battle with yourself. Yeah. Yeah. It was kind of, I could, I could, like I said, I could turn it on for work. And then the minute I left work, I just couldn't, I'd get home. I'd just want to get straight in bed. I was just crying all the time. I, you know, I wouldn't eat when I got home. I was just too exhausted. And just even in the mornings, I'd get up, I'd, be crying because I didn't want to go into work but then I'd turn up and do what I had to do yes you were still delivering that's so mm. you were you were sort of functioning yeah which is why 
mental health is such a hard thing for people who haven't experienced it to understand and because you can it's weird you can hide it so well and I think that's why so many people go on for so long without going to see a doctor or anything because you're like well I can still function and do all the things I have to do but at some point it gets to a point where you can't anymore yes gosh it's I mean it's it's a crazy one to kind of hear you say it as well because I I sort of prior to doing this deep dive into your your life and times Frankie I, mm. I saw you as the sort of sweetness and light happy poster child for you know for pop stardom and and you know a happy happy kind of character um, yeah and it's it's easy to sort of mistake it as tears of a clown isn't it it's, it's sort of the thing you don't really see can I ask yeah. you about, about again and I'm, I'm sort of mixing between your two books at the moment I hope you don't mind because no, they're sort no. of interweaving a bit and, and kind of yeah. trying, to, trying to get you to fill in the blanks as it were um but you know, it's this is a, a, a sort of tough one to talk about. But the suicidal mm-hmm. thoughts, which you 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 go into quite a lot of detail, particularly in open about suicidal thoughts, and you mm-hmm. you explain. I think very. I think it's very generous of you to write about your own suicidal thoughts in a way that frames it for people who might have had loved ones that have taken their own lives, and explain mm. how and why that's the sort of surroundings behind that. Are you happy to discuss yep. your own challenges with them? And, and, and is it still something that, that crops up from time to time? Um, yeah, I mean, not so much. I have thoughts of, you know, with being a parent now, I often feel that if I'm having a down day, I can, I can have those thoughts of they'd all be better off without me. I still have those moments, but they're not as deep-rooted as they once were. Um but, because but, you but, always... what, but what starts that, Frankie? I mean, is it because, is it I mean, it, it, can it be something as simple as I've made this mistake, incidentally, you get the wrong peanut butter in the sandwich for, <laughs> for your son? You know? um, yeah, it can be anything. But you know what? With, with depression, it, there just doesn't have to be a reason. And it can be so frustrating because I can, I can take my medication. I can do therapy. I can make sure that I exercise to, you know, keep the endorphins going. I can do all the things I know I'm supposed to do to keep myself up and in a good place. But some days it just takes over and there's not really anything you can do about it. And it it purely is just the depression talking. Um, But at that moment, you can't see that you know you can only see your failures so yeah like you've forgotten to buy this thing or I haven't been around enough for the boys or I've not been as fun and happy or I haven't done my job well that day it can be these these small life daily things um that all just catch up with you one day and if I was of sound mind that day it wouldn't bother me but on a day where my depression has taken hold it's it yeah you fully go into that dark space again but I know, because I'm so far, much further down the line, that the light will come at the end of the tunnel, whereas before I never believed that because I had no proof of that. Do you hold yourself to a, a ridiculously high standard then, Frankie? Is it, have you set yourself an impossible yeah. bar? Yeah, I'm, I'm a perfectionist. Um, I always have been. Um, and, you know, that can be a good thing. You could say that that's maybe how I've got to where I am all these years. But then also it does mean that you're never really happy with what you have done and can appreciate how well you have done. Um, And you're always striving for more, um, which is tiring and and an impossible task. Um, So, yeah, I'd say that that doesn't help at all um, of putting these standards on yourself that are hard to meet, I suppose. Do you know, this is so interesting, Frankie, because... You know, you'd look at your achievements just on a piece of paper, a CV, mm-hmm. as it were, and you'd look at the things you've achieved, you've done, and the journeys you've been on, and the people you've met, and the things you've, you know, current life as well, your family, your your new career, loose women, and so on. All of these different things, strictly come dancing success, etc. And you just sort of think, well, that must be one really happy person. She's done it all. She's achieved everything, <laughs> yeah. and it's it's just clearly not the case. No, and I think that's why all those years ago I decided to speak out about it because if someone who on paper appears to have this perfect life and um, has achieved all these things can manage to have depression, then, you know, so can anyone. We have this idea that someone who's successful or who has a family or who does well can't feel 
I'm happy, but it's it's an illness at the end of the day, and it can happen to anyone. And that's why I've always wanted to talk about it and be so honest about it because I'm surprised. You know, I'm like, why am I this way? And it fills me with so much guilt that I have achieved all the things I wanted to achieve, yet I can still feel this fundamental deep unhappiness. And it's frustrating, but it's just an unfortunate illness to have. <laughs> yes, yes. So, so what happens in your in your head, Frankie, when I say to you, "You're a you're a great looking woman." What what does that? Mm. I mean, do I just sound like an old perv? I probably do, to be fair. But, <laughs> but it, no, you know what I mean, though. If if, I, if I'm just, I'm, I'm not trying to hit on you here, by the way. I'm just yeah. I'm just trying to find out what the thought process is. If if somebody somebody you rate says to you, "Hey, you're you're really great. You're a really good looking woman." What does that do? Does that does that go in and do you accept that? No. Or are you like, oh, no, I'm not? Yeah, no, it just doesn't even, yeah. I'm just like, oh, yeah, no, I'm not. Oh, you haven't seen me like, you haven't seen me in a bikini or you haven't seen me without makeup on or, you know, like I can, you know, like most, it's very British thing, isn't it? We're not very good at taking compliments. Um, but yeah, I can't, yeah, it doesn't go anywhere. I'm kind of like, oh, thank you. <laughs> yes, it's. But I, th- I think I think everyone is a little bit like that. I mean, we don't. All, everyone is. We don't yeah, all look like everyone. you, to be fair, Frankie. But we are. You know, I mean, <laughs> I'm acutely aware, for example, that lockdown has given me an additional seven chins, and 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 I can't shake that. When someone says, "Oh, that's a nice photo," and you're of you, not I'm the like, only one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, lockdown. I mean, it's yeah. it's all lockdown's fault. It's nothing to do with my delight in the fridge, cheese. <laughs> you know, this is this is how it works. But that's. But that's my point is you don't, you don't, I mean, we've, we've talked about things online and how you, it wasn't mm. in, in S Club, for example, that wasn't a thing. But I imagine mm. if you were to ever, I don't know, find a, a chat forum about Frankie or whatever, there would be a lot of very nice things being said about you. If you were to mm. read those, what, you just wouldn't believe them. You'd just be like, no, 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 none of this. No, I mean, it's nice to hear. Like, it doesn't, it's not like I go, oh, I'm like, oh, that's nice. But it, it doesn't mean that I believe them. And I think there's, yeah, so many people like that, you know, especially not not dismissing men, but especially women. We're so hard on ourselves in the way that we look. Um, and we do all do that thing. And I'm sure you do as well. Someone says like, oh, I like your jeans. Oh, well, they were only five pounds from, uh, <laughs> yeah, I've you know. Had, and, I've had them for ages. Yeah. yeah, do you know what I mean? We just can't take it. And it's a really weird thing. And I, I, it's almost like if you did it means you believe it and we don't want people to think that we believe it. It's really silly. Um, and, you know, I'm the first to go and compliment someone. Like I love to go and tell them, even if I don't know them. And I think it's almost easier to take a compliment from a complete stranger than, than someone you know. Um, but yeah, like I don't look in the mirror and see what other people see. And I think that's a big thing with body dysmorphia is that, that you just don't, you know, like I look back at pictures sometimes and I remember how I felt in that moment. And I think, God, it's so sad. I felt fat. I felt ugly. I felt embarrassed to be in this outfit or whatever. And I think, God, I'd love to look like that now. You know, and we all do that. <laughs> yeah. We all do that. Yeah, it's true. Yes. I mean, but, but you sort of, you've, beaten yourself up over it I think more than most and and actually your body mm-hmm. dysmorphia will, will kind of I want to come back to happiness in a moment Frankie but while we're on body mm-hmm. dysmorphia you know th- this I mean this amazed me this spiraled into your pregnancy you know you yeah. not feeling that you looked good pregnant and the people were looking at you thinking and stuff and, and stretch marks and all the rest of it all these miracles yeah. of the female body you weren't connecting mm-hmm. them like that you were you were ashamed of it yeah, and I still do have shame around it, which is, you know, really sad. Um, but I think because, like I said, my role in the band was how I looked and what I was wearing, and then all of a sudden I became pregnant and my body changed, and it's like I lost that part of myself. I'd lost my armour that I'd kind of hidden behind for years, and I found that really difficult. Um and people did comment on it, you know, they were used to seeing me looking a certain way and then, and then that changed. And I felt yeah, having people comment on it just only made it worse. I was almost embarrassed to be up on stage with the other girls um, rather than enjoying performing. I was kind of dreading it. Um, and I think there's a lot of women that feel that way because again, for me, it came down to a loss of control. I had no over, no control over what was happening to my body. It was changing on a daily basis. 
And that was new for me, especially as someone who had suffered with an eating disorder before and had control over that. I had lost all of that. And it was, it was really scary. It was a really been, weird time. I was going to say that, I mean, that must have been particularly strange because, of course, you know, if, if I mean, it's, it, you're pregnant, you're, you're growing a human, you know, you're making, know. You're, you're making amazing things happen. It's, it's not like you're sitting in the, in the fridge and, you know, putting on the weight from eating. You're, you're pregnant. Yeah. Did, did, did that not we, register? We get, it did. You know, I, I did find the moments where I loved it. You know, when you go for scans and you can see them moving around and uh, when you felt them kick and stuff like I still got to appreciate the magic of it and I and the miracle of it. And I loved watching them grow. And But it didn't mean that the change to me felt hard because I felt like at the time we only really saw people in the public eye that, you know, snapped back or looked exactly the same from behind and then they turned around and they had this tidy tidy little bump and <laughs> I think in my head I assumed that's what how I would be you know um and so I felt ashamed that I wasn't that person because that was almost my role being in the public eye that's how it should have been um so I did I did find that hard and I think I think a lot of women do you know I'd find it funny that I would talk to women and say, oh, don't you love it? And I'd say, oh, no, not really. And then they'd go, oh, yeah, me too. I hated this bit. And it's like we aren't allowed to have those conversations. Right, right, yeah. Uh, which is mental. Yes, yes, it is. Yes, it is. And, of course, in Grow, you know, this is this is your new book. This is about motherhood and mental health mm-hmm. and, and, and your journey. And it's a book where you've also brought in your, a, a paediatrician and your psychologist to comment on the, their explanation of your journey which I think is a really it's it's the same like like you did it in uh in, in open yeah That's, which is a really strong and, and, and excellent way of doing it incidentally but I find uh, some of the things you talk about they they ring very true as a bloke as well do you know what I mean uh, this is a, mother, yeah. a motherhood book so I'm reading it kind of trying to put myself in your head and and my wife's head who's had three children with me and so on you know I'm trying yeah. to sort of sit from that perspective. but as a bloke it's a it's a different read to your intended audience if you know what I mean and, yeah, and so yeah, I'm, I'm kind of reading it, kind of trying to, and, and there are some things that really is, even as a dad, ring so true. For example, you know, we, we all experience those parents who have a sleeper, you know, like uh, really <laughs> yeah. early on in, in, when, you've, when you've got your first baby and, you know, you meet all these new people who've got the babies through the NCT or whatever, exactly the same sort of age, you know, within two or three weeks of each other. So you're all following each other's journeys, aren't you? Mm. And there's yeah. that. That is the most awkward time as a parent to be aware of what other people are doing because you feel so inadequate. Even if you're doing it right, even if you're doing everything textbook, as it were, the fact that you've got a baby that won't sleep because it doesn't want to because that's its thing. But everyone Mm -hmm. else's is sleeping perfectly and they're not showing up to your meetings or your coffee mornings or whatever with eye bags like, you know, like a luggage carousel like mine are (laughs) and so on. You're just like, well, what am I doing wrong? What, what, how is yeah. this? It's, it's such a crazy time, isn't it? Because you're exhausted as well. You just can't think clearly. No. And I think that's what, I think that's what we all forget is like we do compare ourselves to everybody. And I just feel like it's one of the main parts of life that we do. And it's like the last part of mental health that we are looking at. You know, I feel like we've come such a long way. We're talking about mental health in general. But when it comes to parenting and, and, and motherhood, obviously, in my book, but in parenting as in general, it's almost like you can't find, you're not supposed to find it hard. You're not supposed to not enjoy parts of it. And it, it, it does almost become com- competitive. Oh, my baby sleeps eight hours a night and you're standing there and you're like, how? Yes. <laughs> how? How does it do that? And, and you know, I used to find that really difficult in, in turning up somewhere and someone saying that and me thinking, oh, God, my, I don't know when it's ever going to sleep through. And like you say, you're tired. Like as a woman, you're hormonal. I used There's to so be... much going on. <laughs> there is. I used to be like when, when we'd have like friends of ours that we knew had a sleeper, when they'd kind of yeah. be late for a play date or something because they'd had a tough night. That, that one tough night that month where we'd had like... 30 tough nights Every in a row. Night, yeah. You'd just be like, yes, finally, finally, you've got a little glimpse of what we've been going through since the start. And you'd kind of celebrate in their lack of sleep too. And it's so, you kind I of know. think back and go, God, that was mean. I shouldn't be thinking like that. I know. It's, it is. It's completely madness. But I, I just think we're told that we have to be good at it all. Like, <laughs> 
every child is different. You don't know what they're going to be like. Like you say, your child's thing is they didn't sleep, but then they might have been a great eater or they might have crawled before your friend's kid or whatever. And it's like, we don't expect to meet any other human being and know exactly what they want and what makes them happy and what makes them unhappy straight away. But yet with a baby, we're like, why don't I know? Why isn't it doing what I think it should do? Why is this not making it happy? Why? It's just mad. Like I, I've, met you now I've met you a few times I wouldn't know what exactly who you are and what you need so why do we expect it from a, a newborn baby I don't get it yeah, yeah it's, it's a crazy <laughs> one isn't it but we it's, yeah. it's the pressure we put on ourselves I think and it's because you've got that nine ten month build up to it as well you know it's, yeah. it's like that really prolonged start where you just you have that time to settle in and you kind of you go to the cinema for the last time before you're a parent <laughs> yeah. you know all of that stuff so you it's that it's that prolonged fanfare. I think if pregnancy was just like a couple of days, you know what I mean? Oh, we're pregnant. Hey, here's the baby. You might, you know, you might not have that sort of, ah, that, that comes with the build up to it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And there's nothing more annoying than people going, oh, get in your sleep now because you won't have any when the baby's here. And you're like, that won't make a difference. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that hasn't helped. And have you been bombarded yeah. with the advice from people that have been there before you? Because that really, oh. It's never yeah. helpful. It's never useful. No, it's not ever helpful. And it's, you know, it's such a big thing. Like, the, from the minute, it amazed me, from the minute I was pregnant, the the advice would begin or the or, or the judgment or the questions, you know. There's just so, so much. And then, obviously, once the baby's here, everyone's got something to say. And, you know, like I say in, in Grow, I'm like, I'm always stuck on, like, you know, like birth stories. How much do you tell someone? Because yeah. do you, if you only talk about the good bits, are you then luring them into this false sense of security that everything's going to be amazing and they're going to love every second? But then also, do you really need to tell them the horror stories? Because then someone who wasn't anxious will now be anxious. That's so it. it's so hard what the right thing is to do. but And it's so hard to sift through all the, all the advice and to take from it what you actually need and... No, it's such a minefield. <laughs> I think I think the birth stories. It's just go with the highlights, you know. Just go with the highlights. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just just do the positive version. Yeah, nineteen hours, everything was fine in the end. You know, <laughs> we so, have a baby at the end. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah, and he's lovely. Uh, yeah. yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, look, we've we've talked about your your body dysmorphia and and receiving of compliments and all the rest of it, but we haven't talked about happiness. And it, yeah. it, it strikes me, Frankie, is you know, someone that is so in your own head so much, so judgmental of yourself so much, it, it must be a little bit difficult sometimes to see the wood from the trees. Are, are, are you are you happy? Get, do you have prolonged moments of joy? Yeah, like on a day-to-day basis, genuine, like generally I'm a happy person. Like I'm actually quite a positive person, um, which I know is probably hard to believe if um, from everything I talk about mental health, but that's why it's so frustrating because I am naturally quite upbeat and you know I love laughing and you know like most people but I generally on day to day I am good um but I do still always have those thoughts of oh you're not good at this or you won't be able to do that or you failed at this today and but I'm just kind of used to that now it's just kind of part of who I am but it doesn't necessarily make me unhappy or anxious every day right it's just the way my mind works (laughs) do you have ways to now talk to yourself do you have ways and i go stop it frankie this is just that silly thing stop it it's not real i have a way of like especially with my anxiety where i kind of bank the times where my anxiety has been wrong um so i can kind of say well remember that time you were scared of this but then remember this happened and it was really good i can go oh yeah and i kind of believe that now whereas at the beginning that's really hard to do um so yeah, I just kind of convince myself to just do things now and it will be okay in the end. And nine times out of 10, I'm right. <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah. yeah. It's better than three times out of 10, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, my math isn't amazing, but I, I think that would be right. <laughs> what, what, Frankie, what inspires you? What what gets you up in the morning? Um, God, I don't know. I suppose I, you know, having kids, definitely you don't have a choice. Yeah, you have to get up in the morning. Yes, they get you up in the morning. Um, yeah, they get you up in the morning. I mean, in terms of motivation, you know, in terms of professionalism and things. There's, you know. there's just still so much I want to do. Like, I love that now 
I can choose the jobs I really want to do or I can have the conversations I really want to have. And I think that's what's been so nice about Open and Grow is that I can have conversations that are important to me and I can try and help others with their mental health. And that, I know it sounds cheesy, but it genuinely, it helps me as well. You know, I always say, they're like, oh, you've really helped me. And I'm like, but it helps me too, selfishly, to hear other people are feeling the same as me or to hear that something I've said has resonated with someone is great. Um, But also there's just, like I said, there's still so much left that I want to do. Like I love doing loose women. Um, I love, like I still would love to be in a musical one day because that was something I wanted to do when I was a kid. Um, I loved writing. Like now I get to play around with things and try things out and I'm not done. Like I'm only 32. So I feel like there's still so much left that I want to do. Of course there is. Like you say, you're only 32. And musicals, that's a slam dunk for you, isn't it? I mean, there must be. (laughs) That would be just an absolute no-brainer for anyone casting a musical. I mean, West End or Broadway? I want to find the right one. West End. um, But... Yeah, I it would have to it have to be one I really it's such a commitment and especially with children. So yeah, it has to be one I really want to do. Are you more one. Are you more Chicago or Lion King? Uh, I love Chicago. Yeah, I thought so. Yeah, I know everyone loves Lion King, <laughs> but <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I'm just just kind of leaning in to see which, which way we're which way we're going. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll wait yeah. to see your face on the tube in the black and white photos. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, One yeah. day. <laughs> I mean, it seems destined, really, doesn't it? You know, how are you on roller Hopefully. skates if they bring Starlight Express back? Oh, my God, don't. I know. I went to see that when I was a kid. I'm not good enough. <laughs> <laughs> There's always time to learn. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's never an issue. Uh, and Frankie, what, what's the deal with music? I know that you, you, you have a record label uh, agreement and you, you've recorded some tracks, haven't you? But it kind of is on pause. It sort of feels like a long pause for because of motherhood commitments and everything. No, I've not recorded anything. I'm not, no, that part of life at the minute is done. You know, I've been in two bands. I've done it for a really long time. Um, I think when I was younger and before I had kids, it would definitely have been something that I would love to have done, like a solo career. But it's just, I haven't got the time that I need to commit to that, really. And I've done it and I loved it and and I was successful. So I'm like, I'm ready to try new things. You tick the box. Well, I have a, yeah. I have a challenge for you, Frankie. And this oh, is, gosh, is a tough one. How about bringing out a solo cello album? <laughs> oh my god, I'm not sure anyone would buy it. There's <laughs> <laughs> only one way to find out. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I'll do it just for you. <laughs> <laughs> I would buy it. There you go. Yeah, I'll, thank I'll you. Buy it one sale, and and I'll buy ten copies. Give it to people for Christmas. See if they still <laughs> want to be my friend after that. Great. Yeah. <laughs> don't think i think you'd lose a lot of friends that way (laughs) i want to hear it i think it should happen Um, frankie look i could talk to you forever you've been really really great company thank you oh thank you so much i've really enjoyed it and good luck with the book it's i mean i've i've got my wife reading it now and she's like it's really good i mean i've obviously read it and thoroughly enjoyed it but she's like it's really good tell her it's good so i'm telling Uh, you it's good thank you very much but coming from a mother of three not a compliment (laughs) Exactly. Well, that's why I thought I thought she was better informed to kind of give me a proper view on it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Is this good? I think it's good. Is it good? Yes, it's good. <laughs> Happy days. Good Look, research. Good luck for, for everything that's to come, Frankie. I feel like you've got so many adventures that await and I'm excited mm-hmm. to see what happens. Will you, will you chat to me about it again in the future? Of course. Thank you so much for having me. What a joy. It's been a real pleasure. Have a lovely day. Thank you so much for your company. And you. Thank you. Take care. Podcast. And that was Frankie Bridge. What a woman. I really, I've got to say, well, you heard, I thought she was terrific. I really enjoyed Frankie's company and I look forward to connecting with her again in the future. I'd like to just point out that we have a big show on the way for you next week. In fact, two really great guests next week. A comedy hero of mine, Harry Enfield. We've got to sit down with Harry next week. Can't wait to share that conversation with you. And also, we're going to be getting deep with the Reverend himself, Reverend Richard Coles, from the Communards through to BBC Two and beyond. I think that's going to be a really great chat as well. So a couple of big conversations on the way for you next week. And I can also tell you that we have booked some corkers in in the next few weeks. We have some huge chats incoming. So thank you very much for being part of our community. Thank you for listening to The Andy J Pod. Tell your friends, subscribe 
Throw some nice words in our direction if you're so inclined. But most important, go and have a great week. Be kind, make someone smile, and make yourself smile if you can as well. Take care, and I'll catch you on the flip side. The Andy J Podcast. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.